Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Just a really quick reminder that the second season of Ruins of Empire is just about to get rolling, and to help support it and the Ruins of Empire series in general, I've got a pre-release campaign rolling on Kickstarter.com. Just go there, search for Ruins of Empire before October 23rd, and reserve your paperback or hardback copy of Ruins of Empire 2, Templum Venerous. Or you can just throw in a dollar and help keep this free podcast novel out there for people to find. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. Titan is in the throes of a war that threatens to destroy all life on the moon. In order to stop it, Cronus hatched a bold plan to take over the communication network inside the city and use it to pose as the people's shared religion's icon, the Companio, and order them to stop fighting. The team managed to sneak Cronus back into the city so that he could begin setting up the computer networks, but just as the team was ready to broadcast the message, Isra reported a problem. Chapter 30 The corporation that emerged from the fire of global warfare was even stronger than before, fearless and without remorse. Before, people were just casualties in the corporation's grab for power and resources. But now, the corporation actively sought to punish those who stood in its way. From the Fall the Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath. The system was locked. No matter what she did, the holographic interface did not respond. She touched every icon floating in front of her. She tried reaching out and grabbing them. As desperation set in, she started to frantically wave her arms through the interface with no improvement. Then she paused, centered herself, and said, with her voice straining against the calm she imposed on it, There is a problem. Kronos, I need help. The transmitter is no longer functioning. That's impossible, snapped Kronos, against the background noise of his typing. It is possible, Kronos, said Isra, trying to contain her growing irritation. It is happening, how do we fix it? Does the transmitter have power? Do you believe I would call you if I was not sure there was power? She asked, stealing a surreptitious look at the transmitter for a telltale green light. Did you knock or disturb the dish? I have not touched it, said Isra, her voice cracking. Perhaps I can be of some assistance, said an oil-slick voice. It didn't take Isra more than an instant to recognize who was on the channel with them. She could taste the bile rising from her stomach. Laban, what do you want? Well, to put it simply, he said in a smooth, soothing tone, I would like you and your people off my private channel. It is a confidential corporate channel, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you. Laban, said Isra, her voice carrying as much violence as she could manage. You do not know what you are doing. Well, I know what you're doing. 
you're piggybacking on a corporate signal in order to speak directly to the Titanian people posing as the corporation. Maybe deliver a plea to stop fighting before they all destroy one another? Easer sat back, trying to figure out how he could have known all that when he added, A few of our technicians came up with the theory after they dug your signal out of our system. Were they close? Isra ran a hand through her short black hair. She wanted to tear it out while screaming curses at the universe. She wanted to be aboard Innovation where she could rip those stupid office knickknacks off of Laban's desk and beat him with them. She wanted to smash every piece of equipment in front of her until they were nothing but dust and walk away. But again, she closed her eyes to center herself and spoke in a plain, clear voice. Laban, listen to me. This is the only way to save the city. Well, that is a shame. Seeing how it is a corporate signal you're using, we have more claim to the technology on the planet than you do, and if you'll forgive me, Isra, I've seen more convincing performances from children with nothing but a light and a bedsheet. The earbud crackled to life, and Vago's half-mad voice sounded, Isra, damn it, we've got to do this now! Oh dear, said Laban. It appears you are running out of time. If it helps, I am all set up in the office and would be willing to speak on behalf of the corporation. Isra growled. Laban, I would never even consider such a thing. Halifaco's voice bellowed in her ear. We cannot hold. More are coming. What is happening? It seems to me, since we control the signal, you have no choice, said Laban. What is to stop me from doing what I want, regardless of you? You need Kronos on the ground to patch the signal to the screens. Without him, you might as well be screaming into space. Laban paused. The only sound was machine guns from Halifaco's open channel. Finally, Laban said, Then we are at a stalemate. Vigo yelled over the radio, Isra, where are you? This needs to happen, now! Or maybe not. Just say the words, Laban continued, and I will do what I can to help save your people. Screw it, thought Isra. She would rather watch all of Titan burn than let the likes of Vince Laban have control of it. She activated her transmitter. Halafaco, carry out your plan. Move to take the city and destroy the pyramid. Fago, Althea, get Kronos out before that happens. Are you sure, said Laban. Who knows what kind of damage that will cause to the civilization? You have your orders. Carry them out, said Isra. Kronos, see what you can do about the signal. Roger, said Vago, keeping his voice low in the small room. Althea, what's it look like out there? Althea cracked open the door to the substation and peeked out. It's clear for now. I think we can make the pyramid if we hurry. Vago activated his radio. That only means something if Halifaco can break through. He touched the screen and said, Halifaco? Halifaco! Come in! Althea crept over to stand near Vega while they waited for a response. She placed a hand on his shoulder, and only then did he notice a tremble on her fingers. For a moment, there was only static, until the warrior's voice broke in between the rattle of assault rifles. Overrun. We have no choice. Retreat. We have... We must retreat. Althea broke away and went back to the heavy steel door for another peek. More bad news, she said after watching for a moment. They must know something's going on in the pyramid. Several squads just ran in that direction. 
Vago took off his hat and ran his fingers through his hair. He knew the red flags of a military operation that was about to become explosive, and this situation had all of them. Victory would mean survival, and survival meant retreat. He muttered, It's possible they're just running in that direction, but that ain't likely given our luck. Alright, we call this off. Call Kronos and tell him to strip everything down, and that we're coming to get him. Kronos, wearing his immersion goggles and controller glove, searched through innovation systems. There were hundreds of receiving channels, and even more transmitting channels. But getting a signal through one and out the other with the same corporation encryption, that was the difficult part. It was like trying to pass a message, telephone style, through a room of a hundred people who spoke dozens of languages, and trying to make sure the language going in was the same as the one coming out. But he found it. He could patch through an emergency back-channel system, through satellite communications, and relay them through drone transponders. He clenched his fist, finalizing the final connection, and said, Isra, there is a path. Prepare to... He stopped as he saw the signal strength drop to nothing. He moved the connection protocol aside and opened the satellite operating system and examined the code. Kronos, said Isra's voice in his ear. Talk to me. Tell me what is going on. Kronos turned his head left and right, watching the numbers swirl around him. They were different from the last time he was here, and changing even as he watched them. Isra, I think Laban's people are on to me. Somebody severed the connection and blocked the path. Get out of there. We are out of time. Vago and Althea are coming for you. Kronos clapped his hands together, and the numbers disappeared. He reached up and touched an icon for Innovation's core systems. He waved his hand, moving icons that represented the ship's computer systems, as fast as he could see and understand them. As he cycled through another series of pathways, he heard a faint banging on the metal door. At first, Kronos wasn't sure he heard anything at all, but it soon became more insistent. But he could ignore it. Althea locked the door, sealed it. There was no way anyone could get in. He was alone, alone with the servers and the precious, precious data. More banging on the door. This time, it did sound like someone could break it down. He forced himself to focus on the numbers and the code. He had to find another patch before it was too late. Then he found an opening. He could reroute the signal through the atmosphere monitoring system. It was perfect. It was always on, and it was wired through the entire ship. He touched the icon to slice into the code. More banging and more shouting. Kronos shook his head. They can't get through. Vago saw to that. He was safe. No matter how hard they banged on the door, they would not get through. He focused his attention on the numbers, floating and swirling around him. The banging got even louder. Now it could be heard clearly, and could be nearly felt through the floors of the pyramid. This wasn't somebody just pounding or kicking the door. This was somebody on the other end using a ram to try and knock it out of the walls. Kronos activated the radio. Isra, get ready! I have found a way to reroute the signal, but their technicians will try to stop me again. So get ready to transmit on my mark. One more try, then you need to leave, said Isra in a resigned tone. Kronos opened his hand, and a blinking blue icon appeared. The numbers swirled around it, as if they were caught in its gravitational field. Stand by, said Kronos. He reached up to touch the icon, but, as he did, 
It flashed red and disappeared. This? There is no way! Kronos, what happened? asked Isra. Kronos clenched his teeth. They are tailing my signal. I'll have to find a way to hide my signature. Ain't gonna happen, kid, said Vago's voice, in between gasps for air, as if he were running. We're out of time. The Houston's got every soldier he has surrounding the pyramid. We need to get you out of there. Kronos waved his arms and went back to the ship's core systems. No, this can work. I just need a little more. There was a high-pitched whine and a sound like a cork from a bottle. An instant later, the ceiling and the sloping sides all around him shattered. Kronos fell under the supercomputer's console as steel, plastic, and concrete rained down on him, smashed against the console, and fell onto the servers below. Vago grabbed Althea and dove behind a crumbling brick wall to avoid the spray of rock and dust that shot from the top of the pyramid. One moment, he was sprinting toward the gleaming golden structure, and the next, the apex of the monument was gone. Just gone. He didn't have time to do anything but rely on instinct to protect himself and Althea. Where the hell did that shot come from? he asked, peeking over the wall. Althea pulled herself out from under him and poked her head just above the wall. That had to have been the railgun. Halafaco must be close. Vigo checked his rifle and peeked over the wall again. The hundreds of soldiers in the courtyard took off running, leaving only a handful. The good news, said Vago, sitting with his back against the wall and setting the rifle on his lap. Looks like most of them folks suddenly found themselves with more pressing problems than Kronos. Bad news. Them that are still there are armed, and I ain't talking sticks and stones. Althea spun around and sat next to him. She leaned back, banging her head lightly on the wall, and took several deep breaths. She was never trained for combat, and was not accustomed to its stresses as Vago. Still, she held it together remarkably well, Vago thought. Once she had taken a moment, she fixed her bright green eyes on him that were, for the moment, as hard as steel, and said, So what do we do? Vago handed her the assault rifle. Take this and move a few hundred meters away. Find a spot behind that rebel. Stay low and fire just a few shots. No need to raise hell. Just draw their attention. Althea took the weapon. And you? Vago peeked over the wall and drew one of his handguns. I hope to be relieving one of them nice people of one of theirs, but we'll work the specifics later. Go! Now! Althea peeked up again to make sure her way was clear and then ran. While she was on the move, Vago watched the men clustered around the pyramid door. Until the railgun took off the top of the building... They appeared to be trying to bust their way in with a makeshift wooden ram. Vago doubted whether they could break into a sophisticated old earth colony complex with a bit of lumber, but the remaining soldiers looked to have their minds set on that idea. Althea moved from rubble pile to trash heap, staying low and mostly out of sight to anyone not paying attention. She moved with a timing and grace that someone working behind a computer, or, in her case, in a hospital, couldn't muster. Vago had to laugh to himself. If Isra was mad about Triple T, just wait till she found out what Althea did in her spare time, or at least what she used to do. The medic reached a spot behind the remains of another stone wall. She ducked behind it for a moment, then raised up and let loose a burst of gunfire in the general direction of the group of soldiers. She didn't hit anything but air, but it got the soldiers' attention in a big hurry. While they were looking around for the source of the gunfire, Vago rose up and fired three precise shots. One hit a soldier in the neck, the other two hit another in the lower spine and in the back of the head. Both of them crumpled to the ground. Althea rose and fired again. 
There still was not an ounce of precision to it, but, all the same, the soldiers in the middle of the killing became unhinged. Those with guns fired them in all directions, unsure of where the attack was coming from. Others found cover any place they could, even behind each other. This was about the best chance he had. There were maybe ten soldiers left, and they didn't know which way was up. He'd need to be quick, precise, and, above all, lucky. Althea, I'm going in, Vago yelled over the radio. I'll take down who I can. After that, it's up to you. Get Cronus out and get out of here. Althea paused and ducked behind the wall to reply. Vago took the opportunity to fire a few more shots while Althea called back. Vago, what about you? Vago ducked back down and reloaded his guns. You and Kronos get to safety. I'll find my own way. Count to three in your head, and then hit up with everything you got. Vigo turned off his radio and counted slow. On three, he jumped up and sprinted toward the soldiers. At the same time, Althea started firing at full automatic. Bullets whizzed above and around him, but they didn't hit any of the soldiers. Still, she hadn't accidentally shot him either, so that was a plus. He was only a few meters away when one of the soldiers, unarmed and laying prone on the ground, saw Vago coming. He jumped to his feet to stop the Martian, but he didn't even break his stride. Vago plowed through the man like he wasn't even there. Another soldier saw him coming, and this one had a rifle taken from the Marines. He raised the gun, but Vago slid past, ripped it from the man's grasp, and shoved the butt of it in the soldier's face before he even had a chance to react. There was another. This one appeared out of nowhere. He swung a club and connected with Vago's temple. Vago raised the gun and fired a few shots blind. The bullets didn't phase the soldier who brought the club smashing against Vago's gun and again across his head. The blow caused lights to go off behind Vago's eyes and his vision got blurry. Vago swung the butt of the gun around but again didn't hit anything. Then there was a sharp crushing pain in his side. Another soldier was on him. He grabbed the gun in Vago's hand and tried to wrestle it away. Another clubbed Vago in the back of the head. Soon, he couldn't tell one blow from another. In the frenzy, he may have well been fighting a thousand people. Everything was just clubs, boots, and fists, banging at every corner of his body. He pressed forward, trying to propel himself through the crowd. Finally, his body gave out. The pain was too great, even for Triple T to mask. The shrapnel wound in his side flared up. The exhaustion was even worse. The last group of muscles keeping him upright and fighting gave out, and he collapsed, face first, to the ground. In a feeling that was becoming far too familiar, a soldier pulled his hands behind him and tied his wrists. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.